What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoops Hype podcast. On today's episode, I bring back my main man and Cleveland Cavaliers beat writer, Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com, who's going to join me for the third time on the show overall. I think that's the most guest appearances we've had so far. And Chris is going to discuss the blockbuster acquisition of Donovan Mitchell for the Cleveland Cavaliers. We'll talk about what's next potentially for Karis LeVert regarding extension talks, Kevin Love's long-term future with Cleveland, and much more. Chris, as always, a pleasure to have you on, my man. How's everything going your way? Mike, man, it's going great. And I am honored to be the guy who has appeared on your podcast the most at this point. Listen, likewise, um, hopefully for the Cavaliers, uh, Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell are going to have as good of a chemistry as you and I have on the pod. Um, You know, anytime we've gone over Cavs stuff, there's been a lot to talk about and there's no short shortage of topics this time following this Donovan Mitchell trade. Um, You talk about a blockbuster for the NBA um, and and the Cleveland Cavaliers deliver it. you know, I mean, looking at it, we'll, we'll touch on Donovan in a sec, but looking at it for, for some of the guys that left, right? Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, Colin Sexton's camp wanted $20 million annually. Uh, ideally, you know, you and yeah. I both knew that. Um, I, I think getting $18 million annually is a win for a guy that missed most of last season with a torn meniscus. And uh, from what I heard, Cleveland was not willing to go above the luxury tax or move assets like a, a draft pick of some kind to shed uh, Chetty Osman's salary, theoretically, to pay Sexton more uh, and closer to that $18 million range. So in the end, uh, with Sexton prepared to take the qualifying offer uh, for this season and then unrestricted free agency looming next summer, Cleveland didn't want to lose him for nothing. And they include him in the Donovan Mitchell trade. Seems like it worked out well for both sides. Um, looks like Cleveland's going to have to replace some shooting with the losses of Lowry Markinen and Ochai Agbaji. Um, other than that, I looked at the, you know, obviously there's a boatload of draft picks here. Um, going to Utah, I don't, Chris, I don't think it's that big a deal since the Cavaliers are projected to be a playoff team for years to come. Um, and, and Utah, it appears like they're banking on Donovan Mitchell opting out of his deal after three seasons and not wanting to stay in Cleveland long term right. or, or else those unprotected draft picks and the swaps, they won't have uh, much value. But for Cleveland, I mean, you get four potential all star guys with Mitchell, uh, Darius Garland, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley that are potential all stars contractually locked in for a minimum of the next three years. and they still have uh, they're 2.5 million below the luxury tax mm-hmm. and can comfortably sign a 15th player to a vet minimum according to our hoops hype salary cap expert Yossi Goslin so overall what i'm telling you chris is i like this a lot for <laughs> the cleveland cavaliers you know you get a young star an all-star guy um I, you know i think we saw what it was like for him and and Rudy Gobert in Utah as a two-headed tandem, but this is a deeper, more talented team, I think, uh, filled with young stars and and upside to me. So, Chris, when you were reporting on this Donovan Mitchell trade and gathering more background, I'm curious, one, uh, 
how seamlessly the the deal came about mm-hmm. and your thoughts now on on Cleveland acquiring Mitchell and, and what it means for them in the Eastern Conference right now because they certainly uh, are going to have a set of expectations right now with Donovan Mitchell in the fold. Yeah, so the background, Mike, the two teams spoke at Summer League in Las Vegas. And at that point in time, the Cavs got the feeling from Utah that the price was just going to be too high. And there were going to be other teams out there that could have met Utah's high asking price. So they weren't really productive conversations. They were just cursory conversations of, is Donovan available? Okay, he is. What kinds of things would it take in order for us to get into that mix? And at that point in time, the Cavs were like, yeah, it's probably not going to happen for us because we're probably not going to meet that demand. But as the offseason progressed and New York continued to take the approach that it took and Utah continued to have Donovan Mitchell on the roster and they were fielding offers from other teams and talking to other teams, like the Cavs started to get the feeling of, hey, we might be in this thing. So about like three weeks ago or so, Mike, I had heard that the Cavs went to the Jazz and and general manager Justin Zanuck of the Utah Jazz and Cavs president of basketball operations, Kobe Altman, they're close. They have a personal relationship and they have a working relationship. And like of all the executives around the NBA, Mike, I think Kobe is probably closest to Justin Zanuck. And the two um, organizations have done multiple trades in the past. So like having that foundation of working with each other in the past, I think helped this. So about like three weeks ago, Kobe went to Justin Zanuck and said, hey, like, is there a package that you like from us enough that does not include Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen? Build something there and we'll see if there's a path to actually getting something done here. Because if Utah or any other team this offseason was going to ask for either Darius or Jarrett or Evan or a combination of that trio, that was going to be a non-starter for the Cavs. Those are the franchise pillars that they're going to build this thing around. They've made that commitment already. Um, So as the Cavs started to get the feel that something between them and the Jazz could happen for Donovan Mitchell without including any of those three guys, you know, the Cavs started to work with Utah and they tried to find a path to get it done. And Ochai Abaji was thrown in the mix and unprotected picks deep into the future, something that Utah wanted was thrown into the mix. And then when New York decided to make the decision that they did, with R.J. Barrett and giving him an extension, Kobe Altman went back to Justin Zanuck and said, hey, like, is there something here? Can we get this thing done? And about 48 hours after re-engaging, um, something got done between the Cavs and Donovan Mitchell. And, and I think to your point, Mike, the biggest thing about this deal is that the Cavs acquired such a high-level talent without giving up Darius, Jarrett, or Evan And now they have one of the best starting lineups in the Eastern Conference. They've got a guy in Donovan Mitchell who fits their timeline, is around the same age as the other core players, and is under team control based on his contract for at least the next three years. And then we'll see after that. So if we would have been having a conversation about the Cavs before the Mitchell trade, Mike, we would have been saying, okay, how close are the Cavs to Chicago, to Toronto? to Atlanta, 
to New York. Can the Cavs avoid the play-in tournament this coming year and get one of the final few spots in the Eastern Conference, one of those locked-in playoff spots in the Eastern Conference? Now, with Donovan Mitchell on board and this team being relatively close to what it was last year when they won 44 games, it's more of just how high up in the Eastern Conference do they belong? Do they belong with Boston? Do they belong with Milwaukee? How about Philadelphia and Brooklyn and Miami? So, like, that's how, to me, the biggest um, change in the conversation has transpired. Like, before the Cavs were looking at how do we avoid the play-in tournament, now with somebody like Donovan Mitchell, that level talent combined with what the Cavs already had, it's, okay, are they a real threat in the Eastern Conference? I I agree with you. I think their expectations change from bottom of the East to can they compete for somewhere on the back. I think somewhere on the back end of the top four yeah. um, in the East. Because I to me, Milwaukee and Boston are my top two in some order. I agreed. And I think then um, you know, Philly, depending on health, Brooklyn, Miami still got to figure out. The, the four spot to me right. uh, after losing PJ Tucker. Um, you know, I, I'm curious to see how Cleveland's going to respond to these expectations now mm-hmm. looking ahead. Um, I, but it's exciting times for sure. Um, you know, I, I certainly think that like you touched on those guys were the core um, with Colin Sexton. He was a member of the core at one point, then that faded over time. I think right. they realized certainly with, Darius Garland and Sexton wasn't an ideal fit, and Garland took off, uh, became an all-star with Jarrett. Um, I, I just think overall, like if you if you were Cleveland, you were already like looking at look look at where Ochai was drafted, and you're mm-hmm. like, well, we're pretty much going to be in that range anyway. Yeah, I'm not feeling as bad about you know moving those picks. Right. I'm I'm really curious to see what this looks like in the end. Um, and I'm, I'm curious how it goes for Cleveland, because if they're winning over the next few years, then the question for Donovan Mitchell long term um, would be, does he want to stay in the market? Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and time will tell on that. We're not going to start getting into that and that <laughs> aggregation machine. And, you yeah. know, you know, like I I saw after all, you know, the Knicks, somebody put I forgot who put out the report. But like the Knicks would be, I think it was the New York Post that was saying, well, the Knicks are going to monitor now the next disgruntled star and it could be Shea Gilch's Alexander. And I, and I kind of laughed because I'm like, so you think that Danny Ainge wanted draft picks? Do you know who Sam, you know what Sam Presti right. likes? He right. collects those things like Pokemon cards, like Hesh trucks. Okay. <laughs> That's a lot. And they just did a deal. You th- Like I, I just laughed at that one. But um, you, you mentioned that they have, a really good starting lineup now. And I think part of that equation, um, you know, is Karis LeVert. And now the conversation with Karis LeVert, and we've had this conversation again, you've been on the pod uh, a couple of times and we've talked about what a Karis LeVert extension could look like now. A little different scenario now, because originally when they got Karis LeVert, you know, he was replacing Sexton and you're like, okay. And the dynamic changes now, Sexton goes, Donovan's here. You know, they got to work around future luxury tax implications. To my understanding right now, uh, there's no rush for Cleveland to do anything right now regarding a Colin, uh, regarding a Karis Levert 
contract extension. You know, they're going to see how it goes. I think uh, I'm curious to see what the number would be that they're comfortable at um, for both sides. And, And with that in mind, Chris, you know, no one is more plugged in on a, on a daily grind compared to you. I, and I wanted to pose the question to you with Karis Levert now, because um, one, I, I know he's not of the echelon of, of the four guys we've touched on, but he has a chance where he could be a core member of this team going forward with an extension. Um, where do you see extension talks for Karis Levert now and looking ahead uh, for his future with Cleveland? So that's the interesting thing, Mike, I think about this this deal that the Cavs did with Utah, because it creates a different kind of opportunity for Karras than what was already ahead of him. So if we think about it, to me, the toughest piece for the Cavs to replace in the whole Utah-Cleveland trade, Lowry Markkinen. And it doesn't mean that like he was the most talented player that Utah got, but from how the Cavs were built, that's going to be a tough one to replace because Markinen had the size, he had the shooting, and he allowed them to play this unique tall ball lineup with three skilled, versatile seven-footers, Markinen being the starting small forward. And whatever you felt about Lowry and his ability to play that position and whether that was a long-term solution and how long that could last, based on what else the Cavs had on the roster, Markinen was the best option that they had to start at small forward last year, and he was the best option to start at small forward coming into this year. So they've got a big hole there that they need to fill. And I think that's where Karras comes in. I've been told that it hasn't been decided who's going to start at small forward. Training camp is going to figure that out. Preseason going to figure that out. J.B. Bickerstaff's going to have to get together with all of his other coaches and get their thoughts on on who should be the fifth member of what could be a very, very formidable starting five. Um, But I believe Karis Levert's going to be in that mix. Um, And that's why I said the dynamic's going to change a little bit because, you know, before the Donovan Mitchell trade, uh, Karis was penciled in as the starting shooting guard. He was going to be a high usage, 30 minute a night kind of guy. Um, If he starts at small forward and the other options would be Isaac Okoro and then Jetty Osman as well, um, I think it's most likely to be one of Karras or Isaac as the fifth member of the starting five. But if that's the role that he takes, then it's going to be less ball in your hands, less playmaking. And can you make a big impact, especially on the defensive end of the floor? And Karras in the past, when he was with the Nets, like he played the role of defensive stopper. But stylistically, the ball's going to be in the hands of Darius, and it's going to be in the hands of Donovan Mitchell. And those guys are going to take a lot of the usage for the Cavs offensively. So it's going to be a lesser role that way. If it's Okoro in the starting five, then Karras goes into super six-man role. And he can, you know be the primary initiator. He can be the primary shot creator. He can look for his offense and attack the rim and things along those lines. So I think how the Cavs use Karras is going to depend um, a lot on, on what they decide to do with that final spot in the starting lineup, how they want to tinker with their lineup combinations. And you know this, Mike, if he's a sixth man, 
and he has that view around the NBA, then then he's talking about a, a, a different kind of monetary value than if he was a starter that's playing 30 to 34 minutes a night. Um, so I think at the end of this, there is a benefit to the Cavs keeping Karras on the final year of his contract, him being an expiring contract, and then a trade chip if the fit isn't what the Cavs want it to be. And I think ultimately it's going to be hard for the two sides to get any kind of extension done because the feeling inside the organization right now is that one, Karras is going to want too much. And two, they don't know what his role is going to be and how he's going to fit with Donovan coming on board to take the starting spot that was going to be Karras's. The Cavs are open to whatever. And if they can get him on a team-friendly deal, I definitely think they'll consider it and they'll explore it. But I just don't see an extension coming for Karis LeVert. I I agree pretty much with all your analysis. I would say from from knowing Karis, obviously, in his Brooklyn days mm-hmm. um, and, and covering him, he's certainly better as a playmaker, top right. of the key, um, and, and having more usage with the ball in his hand. Uh I think than being a spot up guy or a cutter. So, with that said, I I could see what you mean by that on the six man role. Um, I mean, look, there have been guys that were you know super six men in the past, like a Manu Ginobili, etc. I'm not I'm not saying he's that, but um, you know, look, he can certainly carve out a nice role with this team. And if he went to the bench, you know, who knows? Maybe he'll compete with Kevin Love for six man of the year or something like that. Um, <laughs> And, 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 and that does bring me to Kevin Love. Um, brother, we, we've talked about Kevin Love. His, his Cavaliers journey has been an interesting one. Yeah. Um, you know, this was a guy that helped Cleveland win a championship um, as part of the big three with LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. He uh, Three out of the four past seasons had been hurt. You heard his name in trade rumblings. Mm-hmm. Um and 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 it didn't seem like a fit on a rebuilding team. Now, after last season, you know, with JB Bickerstaff, who he's whom he's very close with, yep. um, which you've touched on as well uh, on the pod, he redefines himself, becomes a more efficient player, and in, in off the bench and a six man of the year candidate at that. Seemed like a more of a veteran mentor. Um, than he had been in his career to this point. He's also entering the final year of his deal. And it's interesting, Chris, because he's got a large contract Mm. that theoretically you could use as a trade chip. But, like, I think Kevin Love's been with the Cavaliers for, what, eight seasons now, I want to say? Yeah, since 2014. And and it's kind of wild to believe, like, Kevin Love. I mean, no, I mean, like when you think about it, you know, everybody talks about like, you know, LeBron's legacy in Cleveland. Like Kevin Love has been with the Cavaliers uh, a long time. You almost think of him more as a Cavalier now than you did when he was with the Timberwolves. And I I know he had a lot of great seasons early on. Um, You know, Ricky Rubio's back. I'm I'm sure that's going to bring a smile to Kevin Love's face. They have a, a bromance somewhat similar to you and I. Um, I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I look at Kevin Love now and I, and I say to myself, hmm, could this guy be another player that even though he's going to be 34 coming up soon, could he still be a part of this team 
looking ahead. Mm. Um, I mean, certainly for this season, I think he brings value immediately mm-hmm. uh, off the bench. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if he can do what he did last year, that'd be great. I see no reason why not, given the minutes he had, um, you know, to keep him healthy, you know, knock on wood. But when you look at Kevin Love, where's the balance here, Chris, between big money trade ship with an expiring mm-hmm. contract versus a guy that could be with Cleveland, you know, looking ahead, even, even past this year, even if it's a short term deal. Yeah. Well, you bring up his money. He's set to make 28.9 this coming season. It's an expiring contract. So there is inherent value to that, especially when you're talking about a potential trade. But the problem with that, Mike, is if you're going to trade Kevin Love, then you're going to bring somebody back that's that's making around the same kind of money. And chances are that guy is going to make the same kind of money that extends to either 23-24, 24-25. And then all of a sudden, the Cavs' salary gets really, really high and very, very crowded. And it happens quickly because Darius Garland's extension is going to kick in because they're going to have to pay Evan Mobley soon. So all of those kinds of things the Cavs have to consider when it comes to their salary cap sheet. And I think because they took on Donovan already and at his number, it would be hard for them to trade Kevin Love and take back such a bloated salary. Um, It would have to be for the right player for them to tie up their financial flexibility and for them to tie up any future salary cap space and stuff like that. Like we talked about with Karis LeVert, there is a benefit of Karis not getting an extension and being on the expiring contract, there is a benefit to the Cavs to just keep Kevin Love and let his salary come off the books and that in a natural, organic way cleans up their future salary cap sheet rather than taking on another big salaried player. I think ultimately I'm in agreement with you on that. And and I just think if you can bring him back at a relatively – fair market value. I don't, I'm curious what that's going to be for him looking ahead, depending mid-level? on how level. Do you think mid level is about right? Um, maybe a little bit below that. It'd be, I, I you know, a mid level. I think that's fair. I mean, and I say that because like he's an older guy a team with cap space isn't necessarily going to break the bank, but um, you know, he'd be better on a playoff caliber team. He's not going to want to go to a rebuilding team. So I'm looking at it that way. Do I think he's worth more technically than that? I think you can make that argument based on efficiency, but it depends on his health. That's the other flip side to that. So, I mean, certainly uh, time will tell on that. Um, I mean, the one way that I looked at it, Mike, in the past, like I thought at some point before the Donovan Mitchell trade, I thought at some point, Kevin Love's most value to the Cavs was going to be in the final year of his deal as a primary trade chip to bring back a high-level player. Like his salary number was going to open up doors for the Cavs to get a high-level player. That's what I thought was going to be his most value. But here we are, and they didn't need him to get to Donovan Mitchell, right? So now I'm looking at Kevin Love saying, I think the most value that he can bring to this organization is on the court, in the six-man role, playing the way and stylistically that that he was able to play for them last year. 
Um, they need more veterans. They need more leaders. Uh, Kevin Love is beloved by his teammates. Darius Garland loves him. Jared Allen loves him. All these guys love being around Kevin. And if he's going to be happy in this lesser role that he was in last year, if he's going to be effective in that same role, and if the Cavs are going to be winning, he's going to be happy too. Like if he can do that for them, just like he did last year, there is more value to me in that version of Kevin Love, the player, than there is in using his an expiring contract as a trade chip at this point, because they already got the kind of player in Donovan Mitchell that they would have been able to get with Kevin Love's number. Kevin Love wouldn't have been the centerpiece. He would have been the salary filler to make it work, and then the Cavs would have had to find the other pieces. But but now, to me, the most value he can bring to them is on the court. Well said. And, you know, I, I joke with you about him having as much of a legacy now in Cleveland because he's been there for so long. I won't mm-hmm. say the same type of legacy, but um, number of years, you know, you think of him with – LeBron and Kyrie, and um, I'm not saying Kyrie Irving is coming back to Cleveland, um, but I would be remiss if I didn't say that there's going to be, uh, whether it's true or not, there's, I'm, I guarantee you there's going to be some something. Someone's going to mention like, hey, you know, LeBron, maybe mm-hmm. he'll come back to Cleveland and burp, 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 you know, all that stuff. Um, so I wanted to ask you, like, Given the way this team is constructed, is there ever a scenario where down the line, um, and I know he just extended with the Lakers, mm-hmm. I, I, but like down the line, um, is there a scenario where Cleveland's front office is like open to that? Or do you think LeBron would? I'll let you take the floor and answer that however yeah. you will, because it's a loaded question. And, uh, you know, I don't want to get you in trouble with the aggregate bots. So, you know, I think they would be open to it on their own terms under the right terms, terms that are very, very different than what he came back to in 2014. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, You can elaborate. I'm not going to, you know, put the, put the words in your mouth. Like when you acquire LeBron, there are a lot of things that, that go with that. He wants power. He wants to help make decisions over the roster, over the people that are hired within the organization. Um, He wants to be at the center of everything. He wants a team built around his strengths and things along those lines. Um, The Cavs would not sign up for that kind of situation because they feel good about what they have here, Mike, especially with the, the addition of Donovan Mitchell. And the Cavs were never looking at the situation where like, We need a savior. Back in 2014, they needed a savior. They needed LeBron to come back and and take them to a different level. Organically, they have grown this thing. They're coming off a 44-win season. They advanced to the play-in tournament. And now coming into this year with Donovan Mitchell on board, they're looked at as an Eastern Conference power. And not just for this year, but you think for the next like three to five years. So they don't need LeBron to come in and be Mr. Everything. Come save the franchise. We're on our knees begging you to come save us. Um, It would have to be under different terms. It would have to be under the guise of, You're going to be a piece of this, a big, big piece of this, but a piece of this, not Mr. Everything for us. Um, You'll have to fit in with with some of what we have here. We're not going to blow up everything that we have 
just to bring you on board and clear up the salary cap space and all that kind of stuff. So if the Cavs had an opportunity where it worked for LeBron and it worked for them, Mike, I don't think they would turn their back on that, not that level of talent, but they're also not making moves specifically um, with the idea that LeBron is eventually going to come back. Well, with that said, one guy that we do know is going to come back eventually for Cleveland is Ricky Rubio. I was curious um, if you heard an update on when that that could be and how his uh, rehab is going. So he visited with Cavs team doctors recently. He had been doing a lot of his rehab overseas in Barcelona, the early stages of it. And then he met with Cavs team doctors and I was told that that everything was on the same schedule. Everything was on the same timeline. They don't have a specific timeline because this is a player beyond the age of 30. This is his second torn ACL. And they don't feel like they need to rush him back on the court. So I think the Cavs are going to take their time with this situation. And I keep hearing 12 months. And that's kind of like the historical timeline that is attached to a lot of guys recovering from a torn ACL. So if you look at that, we're talking about January. I think February is probably more realistic at this point in time for somebody like Ricky and, and based on the, the other things that they have on this roster that they, they can allow themselves to like slow play it and not bring him back too soon. But from the very beginning, Mike, they were looking at the Rubio signing as one like this is a guy that that we view as essentially a, a trade acquisition midway through the season. He can give us a boost in February, March, and April, and if we get to the playoffs. Um, so that's how they were looking at it. But the other thing that I continue to hear is, you know, even though he's probably going to be back January, February, um, how effective he's going to be this year over the final few months of the regular season is something that's hard to predict. Um, and the Cavs are the reason why they gave him a multi-year contract. Um, the Cavs are looking at him in, in year two of this recovery of the ACL, which would be the 23-24 season, as when he's going to be most effective and when he's going to be more like the player that he was at the start of last season when the Cavs were 20-14 and 14 with him in the lineup and he was very good next to Darius Garland, and he was finishing games, and he was integral in their rise um, into surprise status in the Eastern Conference. So that's a long way of saying I do expect him back around January, February, but the version of Ricky Rubio, the player, is probably not going to be as impactful as the guy um, that he was at the beginning of last season. And, and his impact is probably going to be greater next year and the year after that, just because of what is historically the case with guys coming back from a torn ACL. I think Ricky coming back even as a backup for any amount of time would be huge for them. Great locker room guy. Without a doubt. Willing passer, obviously. Uh, can run a team, can get a team organized. Yep. Yeah, Kevin uh, helped, you know, Kevin Love get back on track. Yep. I, I, I agree with you there. Um I think the last item when you look at Cleveland is they do have a 15th roster spot. And as I mentioned after the Donovan Mitchell trade, um, according to our Hoopside salary cap expert, Yossi Goslin, they still have $2.5 million to work with below the luxury tax so they can comfortably sign a guy to a vet minimum deal. Um, 
with that said, have you heard anything on what Cleveland is looking to do um, with that final roster spot? Because to me, I touched on it. You did as well with Lowry Markkinen, uh losing a little bit of shooting there. Um, and I, I'm, I'm curious where you think they go with that final spot. I would love to know from you, Mike, if you've heard like anybody specifically that could be available in trade that could man that spot besides Bogdanovich from Utah and maybe Harrison Barnes or something like that from Sacramento, because I think that's something that the Cavs are open to exploring. Look, they don't have a lot of trade capital anymore because they used a big chunk of it to get Donovan Mitchell. Um, But if they could package future second round picks along with hypothetically Karis LeVert, future second round picks with Jetty Osman, something along those lines to try and um, upgrade that spot. I I think they would consider that. I think they would explore that. Um, I think the other option for them, Mike, if if they don't like any of the, the trade options, if they don't like any of the guys that they could sign in free agency is just leaving that spot open. The Cavs historically have, have been open to doing that and just seeing what happens in training camp and what happens in the early portion of the regular season. Maybe somebody becomes available, um, and, and that way they just keep it open for, for that guy, whoever it may be. I see, I see more along that line of leaving it open for flexibility, and I think – um, I don't think they have necessarily enough to get uh, Boyan Bogdanovich. I've certainly yeah. heard his name ad nauseum with the Lakers, which surprised me a little bit because I felt like if you're the Lakers and you're trying to, you know, build the best team now, you would try to look more towards the Pacers deal. But obviously, Indiana wants both those first round picks and as close to unprotected as possible. You know, mm-hmm. I touched on them wanting Taylor Horton Tucker too in trade talks for. Um, in those trade talks before he went to Utah to see if they can get off Daniel Tice as well. That couldn't happen Um, from the Lakers perspective. They thought that was too much. So, um, you know, with Barnes, you know, Sacramento always values their guys more than (laughs) other teams around the league. And Mm -hmm. I thought they would have done well to move Barnes a couple of years ago, but they didn't, you know, they, they wanted to try to make the playoffs and they still want to now. Um, So, I don't know really what trade you're going to do with Harrison Barnes. It's going to make you better now. I don't mm-hmm. know if Karis LeVert in their eyes would do that for them, even though mm-hmm. he's a little younger. Um, and, you know, with Bogdanovich, um, I mean, certainly Danny wants to collect as many draft picks as possible and, you know, be the new Sam Presti here to, to rebuild this thing in Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if, having Karras would, would fit that. I would think if anything, given the deal that they did with Donovan Mitchell, if there was something there with that, they would have tried to integrate it, uh, to make a really huge, even bigger blockbuster. Mm. Um, I don't really know how many times we see separate deals like that, unless it's towards the deadline. I would imagine if you're Utah, you're going to try to move those guys quicker. Mike Conley, I'm talking about, Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, Jordan Clarkson, because ultimately those are guys that can help a team win. And if I'm Utah, I'm trying to replace one Frenchman with another. I'm trying to replace Rudy Gobert with Victor Wembanaya, personally. Right. Um, And that's no shade at, you know, the guys they acquired from Cleveland, but... Um, just the general direction they've they've been heading. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that said, their trajectory is pointing one way while Cleveland's is uh, 
pointing up. And I'm certainly looking forward to, uh, we're going to have media day coming up in a couple of weeks here. Yep. Uh, you're going to have plenty to talk about with the, with the new Cavalier Donovan Mitchell. And I'm sure you get some exciting quotes from Garland and Mobley, maybe Jaron Allen will even, uh, throw something new out there as well. But I appreciate you coming on as always, brother. And I'm, I'm looking forward to your coverage this season. You're going to have a lot to write about, which is always a great thing. You got it, man. It should be a fun season. There's no doubt about it. It, it definitely changes. You know, for the first couple of years post LeBron, there were some missteps by the organization and they were still in this rebuild. The way that I wrote it the last couple of days is that the rebuild is now over. I don't know what the term is for getting out of the rebuild. Maybe it's rebirth. Maybe it's, you know, resurrection of the franchise. But but the idea of the Cavs being in the rebuild mode, like that's over. When you get somebody the caliber of Donovan Mitchell, your expectations go much, much higher. I would say respectfully, they're all in. I yeah. When you push that many yeah. draft picks in the center of the table to get a a star in his prime, an all-star guy at that, you've got a young core. This is it. Like it's go time now. I'm not saying they're a championship team just yet, but they've got to now work around the edges um, and and supplement those guys. But um, once again, Chris, I appreciate you for joining me, my man. Uh, it was a pleasure as always and very insightful. You got it, man. Always enjoy it. You can call me anytime. My man. I also want to thank everyone else for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoopside podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members such as Chris Fedor, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following Chris too at Chris Fedor. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best. <laughs>